Starting your own private medical practice can be the most exciting and rewarding thing you'll ever do in your career, but at the same time, it can be so daunting. Where do you start and how? That's why Gentem Health put together the podcast series, Journey to Private Practice, where we document and interview entrepreneurs, clinicians, investors, and the best in the industry to bring you actionable insights as how to start, grow, and scale your private practice. With insights tailored just for you and actionable links in the notes, this is the journey to private practice. Hey, podcast listeners, before we get into this episode, I want to remind you of an exciting event coming up. Check the show notes below, click the link, because on Thursday, August 5th at 4 p.m. Eastern is our next private practice growth webinar series, and we're going to have, you, you requested him, we got him, Dr. Scott Sigmund, that's right, The Fro is coming on, and to talk about a very interesting topic, the webinar title is Orthopreneurship, a Franchise Model for Physicians and Industry Partners. That's right, if you're a medical device rep, you should attend this as well. Now, franchising has become a very powerful uh, model in medicine, but not a lot of people know about it. Dr. Scott Sigmund has very unique expertise in it because he is the founder of a medical franchise called OrthoLaser, which is essentially offering patients and doctors an innovative and effective alternative to pain management right, over opioids. But more importantly, he's going to use this webinar to educate you on the franchise model unrelated to OrthoLaser, but then towards the end of the webinar, you will see case studies about how this is actually rolled out in practice through OrthoLaser's case studies in terms of the clinical research that's involved, the uh, uh, go-to-market strategy, the marketing, the investments, everything that you need to know. It's going to be extremely informative. We're going to have a live Q&A. And in case you can't attend live, I highly recommend you still sign up because then you at least get the on-demand recording. So check the show notes below, register now, and then let's get on to the show with the fro. Hey everyone, this is your host, Omar M. Khatib, head of growth here at Gentem Health with another fantastic episode of Journey to Private Practice. The man, the legend, the myth, I got him here. If you know hashtag follow the fro, if you know of Dr. Fro, the fro, I'm joined by the one and only Dr. Scott Sigmund. Dr. Sigmund, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Well, introduction, man. I got to come back in again. I want to hear that one more time. Absolutely. If you ever take up a career in MMA or boxing or wrestling, you need like that ringside announcer, I, I will do it for you free of charge. Great stuff. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate being here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now we have a really interesting topic uh, for today, which is the, the business of medicine, specifically on the side of franchising. You know, you're an orthopedic surgeon and, you know, you, you seem to have it all because you not only enjoy private practice life, you're a businessman, you also are podcast host for the ortho show. Great show. We'll leave links in the show notes, but also this franchising model with uh, your company you found called ortho laser. And I want to get into that. But before we do, I want to hear the origin story of the fro. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Why'd you pick medicine? And why the hell is somebody calling in the middle of our interview? Don't they know we're talking? They no, do they have any idea who I'm talking to right now? Oh my God, that's too funny. Uh, and and not, not only that, but it's a robocall. But uh, so yeah, so, so, you know, I grew up in Baltimore and, uh, you know, my father was a chemical engineer from MIT. My mother was a headhunter and you know, it was one of those things that uh, in high school, I was good with sports. I played football and lacrosse, captain of both teams. I was really good in science. 
and uh, then sort of had a knee injury like in 10th grade. And there were about four or five kids in my in my class at, at high school whose fathers were orthopedic surgeons. And I was like, this seems kind of cool. You know, they seem to be OK. They're doing all right. They got a nice car. They're dressing well. You know, dad seems to be really responsible in the community. And I'm like, what if I could do this? You know, maybe I could be a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon. And uh, I put my head to the grindstone in 10th grade and I said, that's what I'm going to do. And and that's what we did. And so I went to, uh, I went to Tufts undergrad. My father was from, you know, from MIT. He said, you got to pick a school in Boston. It's the greatest place to go to school. And I did. Had four great years at Tufts and then went back to University of Maryland for medical school. And then back to Boston where I did all my medical training, except for the Curl and Job Clinic in Los Angeles, which is this sort of world renowned sports medicine uh, clinic where we took care of all the pro athletes. And then I went into private practice and 27 years later, I'm sitting here talking to you, Omar. That's amazing. What a great story. I, lo- I love that, and especially Baltimore is a hell of a city. I, I did some you know research at-, at Hopkins back in my undergrad days. It's a great city, great place for medicine. Point, the horse you rode in on Tavern. <laughs> where basically that's where we would spend every Monday night because all the medical school tests were, were on Monday, you know? So they give you the New York telephone book and they tell you, you got to memorize it for your test on Monday. We go out, get drunk. And then they give you the LA phone book on Tuesday. So you can just have to memorize that for the following Monday. So we had some really <laughs> fond memories of Baltimore and we would go to the Orioles games. My, my dear friend, Billy Yerm and his father had season tickets. So we'd go over like the third inning. We'd hang out for like three or four innings. And then we go to Sabatino's in, in the Little Italy. We'd have awesome food at two in the morning. Just great memories of Baltimore. It's a great. It's a great. It really is a great place. Uh, absolutely. And you know, when when you decided to pursue uh, orthopedic surgery, I mean, who who is sort of the, you know, they always say that you know you go into medical school uh, thinking you know what you want to do, but you end up uh, sort of falling in place based on where your personality fits. You know, but how did how did that light bulb go off where where you realized in medical school, like, yeah, ortho, you know, I I need to be an ortho. Man, there was this guy, Larry Becker, he was an orthopedic surgeon. He played he played lacrosse at Hopkins. He was like the star go to guy and became the sports medicine orthopedic surgeon in Baltimore. And I went to high school with uh, with Jill and Gary, his his two kids and uh, just saw the whole thing. And I'm just like. Dude, this is what this is what this is perfect. I mean, I love sports. I play sports. I'm kicking ass in school. I'm getting straight A's. I can put all this stuff together. And nobody in the family had ever been a doctor, but I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to combine all the sports cool stuff that I do with being a doctor. And then that's just what it was. And and it was never even a moment, Omar, where where that wasn't the case. You know, I on the Ortho Show podcast, we interview orthopedic surgeons from all over the world. We hear these awesome stories. And everybody always has a different story. You know, Nancy Ann Shipley was just on and it took her five years to figure out that she wanted to go to medical school. And, you know, and then there's other people like, well, you know, it was my third year and I did this rotation and that's what, no, 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 no. I was doing this thing from day one. I got accepted to medical school uh, in my junior year, applied early admission. I got accepted to medical school before I took my first test senior year. Uh, in, in, uh, in undergrad. And then, you know, medical school was, was pretty straightforward and I was very fortunate to do well and, and got into a great residency, did well in my residency and got into a great fellowship. And, and that fellowship, Curl and Job Orthopedic Clinic in particular has opened up doors for me throughout my entire career. And it's really allowed, uh, allowed me to grow. And I mean, I love what I do. I probably only do 70% of my day is, is, or the week is really spent on clinical medicine. But as you mentioned, 
30% of, of what I do is other stuff. I, I teach, I learn, I travel. We have the podcast, we have ortho laser, you know, orthopedic laser centers as a franchise. And it's been a real passion of mine to be able to share all the things that I've learned and be able to pass that on and then learn as much as I can from other really remarkable individuals as well. That's fantastic. And I think that, you know, especially, I mean, people can follow you on, on LinkedIn and all these other uh, platforms, but looking at your career, I think it's it's kind of the the future of what it means to be a physician, which is, yes, like, you know, don't go, and this is just my personal opinion, don't, you know, don't go to medical school thinking like, oh, this is my path to making a lot of money because trust me, there are other things that you should do. And don't go to medical school just to go work for a hedge fund item. That's just my personal opinion. But, but... If you do end up going to, you know, to medical school and you're practicing, right, find outlets where your interests can really be aligned with, in my opinion, you know, elevating your career, making more money. Now, what's interesting, and I want to get into the business model aspect of it, of OrthoLaser, but, you know, before you founded OrthoLaser, I'm looking at your LinkedIn, you were already doing some really interesting, you're you're consulting in industry, you're involved in a lot of interesting projects. And so you would think that already you kind of had that itch scratched. What specifically made you say, hey, I want to start a franchise? So tell us the early days of OrthoLaser. What is it? And then we can kind of get into the business model of it, because I think a lot of surgeons want to know, how do I start doing more, you know, you know, bigger business opportunities? All, all great, great points. And so for me, anybody that knows me, you know, my mantra is, you know, Dr. Scott Sigmund, I am the original opioid sparing orthopedic surgeon, healer of knees and shoulders, left and right, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show podcast and chief medical officer of Ortho Laser, orthopedic laser centers, and now curer of COVID. And we'll talk about that too. But my- That's a hell of a title. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot oh, of- Oh, wow. No, I love no, it. <laughs> no, mo no mother of dragons, but I got a lot of stuff going on there. And uh, so, you know, it started for me really in the opioid sparing space. And, and you know, over a decade ago, I just recognized the, the harshness of- of, of the of the falseness of the opioid epidemic and how we had all been really sort of schnookered, you know, it wasn't bad people for the most part. It was really just doctors who were trained and taught with experience-based medicine that what we do hurts. You have to use opioids because they're inexpensive and they're really not very addictive. And obviously we all know that that couldn't be any further from the truth, but that's what we were told. That's what we were taught. And so it was a culture of, of pain medication and pain uh, management that was really devastating for, for us uh, within the medical community. And so you know, about a decade ago, I just recognized that it was just too much. It was time for a transition, tried to come up with new ideas. And that's that's when I got started with a company called Pacera with this medication called liposomal bupivacaine, which is a long acting anesthetic. And I did some consulting work for them. And and then from there, it just blossomed and it really just became my my gig. And I would, you know, I would just profess it and I would travel and I would give lectures, you know, crazy. I mean, I got invited to to this society meeting in Dublin, Ireland. They loved my talk on opioids, and I was asked to become a, a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, which was just an amazing experience. And that whole thing, that whole concept of, of trying to come up with alternatives to opioids is where OrthoLaser was born. So I got a call from Ryan Mooney, who's now my partner, and says, hey, Scott, we got this thing. It's a, it's a laser. I'm like, what the hell is a laser? I don't know anything about it. But it turns out I had another friend that was using it. I'm a big believer in trusting and believing in what other doctors are doing that I believe in. And I tried it, and, and it was pretty cool. And uh, I liked it a lot. And then, you know, and, and talk about medical practice, right? I have a group of 10 doctors that I'm partners with. 
you know, trying to get 10 orthopedic surgeons to agree on anything is nearly impossible. It's like herding cats, right? Yeah, seriously. You know, just, it's just painful to make major big time decisions. So after about three months, I just recognized that this was not working. You know, I was getting called, you know, the prestidigitator or the, you know, that, you know, <laughs> somebody called me, they were calling me a chiropractor and all these things. Not, I, I love chiropractors. It's not, a, it's not a yeah. negative connotation, but you know. Uh, yeah, but I know exactly what you mean. I feel like in medicine, it's a, it's a very dogmatic culture and especially amongst surgeons. And let me tell you, they, they know how to stick it to you. I think someone, I don't know if it was you or doctor, it was Dr. Corey Callanan who was mentioning the first orthopedist who decided to start using um, uh, Im- implants uh, like uh, of different materials, you know, and learn from dentists and people, you know, all the orthopods were just like, you're a moron. This is the stupidest thing. That guy's like a zillionaire now. So such a common story. I mean, you know, innovation requires courage and to change and move into a different direction is not easy. And for the most part, most people don't want to take that direction. They'd rather stay in their muck and do the things that they've been taught and not have to make you know, to worry about change. And so, you know, very early on, I was like, all right, this, this ain't working. I'm pulling this laser out of here. And I was like, then I'm like, well, why am I, I have this laser, right? I've got this really expensive orthopedic clinic where we've got tremendous overhead. We've got 70 employees. There's insurance authorization, just layers and layers of employees that we have in overhead. I'm like, this, this, the laser doesn't have to be in that setting. Why isn't it in its own clinic? Why just have the lasers and do laser healing, do the diagnosis here, but send patients for their laser healing, like in a salon or whatever, mm. where they can get their treatments done. So I bought three lasers. I opened up, uh, I bought this little dentist office that had just gone under. Uh, I trademarked the name Ortho Laser Ortho Peak Laser Centers. I spent some money on the logo. Uh, and I said, I'm just going to do this thing. And I started it on my own. Nice. I asked some of my partners in the practice if they wanted to do it. It became way too political. So it was a hot potato. They decided no. I said, I don't care. I believe in this. This is something that really I think will make a difference in people's lives. Uh, and we started. And so all of a sudden, about three months in, the laser distributor who sold me the lasers comes knocking on the door. And they're like, wow you know, this is pretty cool. We, we kind of like this idea. And what they have been doing is really selling lasers one or two at a time to different clinics, to podiatrists, chiropractors, or MDs, DOs, but they were selling one or two at a time. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a mass production sort of more scalable event for them. And it was behind the curtain too, because it wasn't something that was front and center, like, Hey, this is what you're getting. This is what we're special. It's kind of like this, this great technology, but it's just, you know, it's like, uh, you know, purchasing a robot, but not having anything about robotics you know, front, front facing, it's, it's sort of behind the scenes, which loses the value, I think. Right.
And how long was OrthoLaser, I guess, a functioning clinic before you made that decision to do franchising? What were the signals that you saw from the business early on? Because I think, you know, any idiot can make a decision about scaling a business or franchising when you have like massive cash flow and et cetera, et cetera. But to do it that early, there must have been a few key signals out of the noise that you focused on and said, yeah, this, we, sh we should take this to the next level. What, what were those signals that, that made you say that? No, nobody wants doctors to make money. Okay. I mean, that is just the way of the world. It, isn't that the truth? Why? I don't get it. Why? <laughs> don't I don't understand it. Right now, they want us to. I mean, if you take a look at the last twenty five years, Louis McIntyre has taken a look at the orthopedic CPT codes for surgical interventions. We have been on a straight downline reimbursement for what we've been doing, despite the fact that technology has improved, outcomes are improved. You know, volume, you know, and putting more, you know, and, and taking more risk associated with that, yet we continue to be ratcheted down. And so there's these things called designated health services that, that the federal government has set up. So for example, imaging, x-rays, MRI, physical therapy, things like that, where they say, you know, because of the fact that these are things that are really important, you know, you can only generate 25% of your overall revenue from designated health services. Because the idea is, is that you're going to self-refer to a facility that you own or you have this thing and you're going to overload it so you can generate more cash. Well, what's interesting is that laser, despite the fact that the basic science behind laser is absolutely impeccable and the clinical studies from around the world are improving literally on a daily basis. Oh, my God, I'm a popular guy. Jesus, let me turn this thing off. Um, All good. And so, um, so... Uh, you know, so where was it? Oh, for laser, the basic science, the clinical studies were, 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 were bearing themselves out. Um, and uh, again, I just lost my train of thought. Where was I, Omer? Help, help me here. What was I talking about? Franchising? What were the signals that told you you should scale this? Signals. There we go. So the number one signal was the ability to self-refer to a facility that you own legally without restriction. So from a pure business standpoint, now remember, it's okay to be a doctor. It's okay to be in business. It's like doctors feel like they got to hide behind their white coat and they can't, you know, they can't advertise or they can't talk about themselves or they can't join into a business because that's just not what we do. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're, if you're in, if you can take, uh, you know, this business to a community and provide an opioid alternative solution for acute and chronic pain, for a community and you're bringing that service to that community, you are providing a serious, important thing for them. It's a very positive thing. So owning Absolutely. a business and running a business is not necessarily a negative thing for the doctors out there that are thinking about what investments or what ideas they may have. And this is a perfect, I mean, you know, the other thing that people forget, this is part of the culture of medicine. If you go back in history, you know, surgeon barbers, you know, had their own business. My father, general surgeon, owned business. There's nothing wrong with this. Period. Obviously, if you're if you're if you're doing things where you're essentially, you know, in a gray area when it comes to business, we all know what that what what that would look like. You know, doing kickbacks and everything like this. But in certain areas like this, it makes complete sense because the other option, which is more people are addicted to opioids, and there are tens of thousands of Americans who have been killed, killed in the last few years because of fentanyl, right? So. Yeah. Absolutely right. So, you know, 
it's it's good. It's the, you know when there's a problem, can you come up with a solution? I always say that to my kids. Don't bring me problems. Bring me solutions. And and so the people that can just see around corners and just look around and see the things that are happening around them and then come up with an idea and then be able to move forwards with it. And trust me, I mean, every you talk to every CEO of any company that's ever been started, it's always two steps, two steps forwards and one step backwards. There's no cookbook. Nobody hands you the mm-hmm. book on how to do this. And so there's always things that happen that are that are positive or negative. But the idea is you solve, you move and you, and you continue on. One of the other things that was really important for me as sort of understanding as to why I thought this was going to really work was if I could connect with the technology, right? I didn't have intellectual property. I didn't, you know, I've got a co- I have a couple patents on some cool stuff, but you know, that's not what this was about. This wasn't about coming up with a new technology. What it was was taking an existing technology and bringing it to the people in a different way. And so making it more available uh, making it more brand aware as well. So branding is super important for us in, 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 the, in the franchise world and what we've done as well. And so within that technology, we have this robotic laser, which is super cool because there's a bunch of other lasers that are out there, but they're sort of handheld and they generate heat energy and you have to move them around. Otherwise, you're going to cause skin burns and complications. Our laser is pulsed 1500 times a second. And it has a mobile head, so the, the laser never touches the patient. And so what that does is it heals the patients relatively fast. It's three times more powerful than any other laser. But I'm okay to say this out loud, Omar. We can do three to four patients per hour with a single laser. So if you're going to open up a business, you got to know your margins. You got to know what your costs are. And you got to be able to have a successful model. And so we've done that with OrthoLaser now. We know exactly you know, how many lasers, how many patients what size the place needs to be. We, we take your CAD cam you know, drawings and we have a company called Wadsworth Design that builds out every ortho laser to look identical. So it's perfectly branded. All of that sort of came together you know, early on as we were going to decide to do this. So it just, it just, and then we locked in the technology and I got to tell you, you know, I'm a smart guy, not so much just because I'm a smart guy, but because I know that relationships matter. You got to make sure you're surrounded by other smart people that have expertise in areas other than what you have. And so partnering with these distributors, getting an amazing lawyer, getting an amazing you know CPA, all of that helped us to put this package together. And we've got nine stores open now across the country with 16 more committed. Uh, and we're just really hitting an exponential growth curve coming out of pandemic because doctors and patients alike are looking for alternative treatments to surgery. They don't want to go to the big hospital with sick people. Uh, and doctors are also looking for additional revenue now because of the pandemic and the concerns that they had with being shut down for months at a time as well. Absolutely. And that's a fantastic story. I mean, it's a great, it's a, it's a great American success story. Right. And that's what I love. And again, I mean, at least for us, I mean, for Gentem, you know, our big mission is like making sure that you know, private practices stay independent. And I love, you know, this uh, story that you share because not everybody has the chutzpah, right? Or the pain threshold to sort of take that big leap and do this, you know, do this. And there's a bit of luck involved as well, but you've it's essentially a path for that surgeon who, who's listening to this to say, you know, I want to venture off into the business world, but I don't know where or how. And so I think franchising is the next best thing because essentially everything is templated out. You have, you know, some maps to work with, you know, you have a model and framework. And I think that's why a lot of physicians 
you know, they prefer that model. I think, in my opinion, again, anecdotally, a lot of physicians don't open these their own practice these days because back in the good old days, like when my dad was practicing, it's like you finish training, you open a practice, you go talk to a few people in the area, and then they refer business to you. But now there's so many hospitals that are buying up practices, corporations, private equity, they own everything. So even your buddy down the street is like, hey, you know, Dr. Sigmund, I love what you do. I can't send my patients to you because, you know, I work for this hospital. I can't do it. You know, so I, I prefer this model because it's physician run and owned. You know, the other option is that every physician in America is working for a large corporation and they're a cog in the wheel and everybody's miserable. Yeah, you know, private equity is really pushing into the ortho- orthopedic space at a very rapid rate post-pandemic. It's impressive. How do you feel about that, honestly? I'll be honest, we're in discussions right now with a private equity group. We've signed a letter of intent. I don't want to go beyond that at this point. But, you know, I think for private practice groups like ourselves, which have been incredibly successful in, in, in our ability to heal, but also successfully financially, we're pressured from a lot of different places. As you said, you know, our local hospital just joined this group called the Wellforce, which is with two other hospitals. And now these outside people are coming in and like, I wanted to order something new for the OR and I had to fill out a requisition slip to go down to Boston for somebody to say it was okay. And I'm just saying to myself, I'm like, you know, we need to rally the troops here. I want to be around other like-minded, innovative doctors who have a good sense about business. And so if you join in with private equity and you have those other successful practices that are rallying with you, then you're, you're, you're basically rallying the troops and you have people that are really work looking out for you. Like my, you know, I, I, I've been working with the same hospital group for 25 years. I have a great relationship with the primary care doctors and the C-suite. But at the end of the day, I'm still a private practitioner. I don't work for the hospital. They have their interests. I have my interests. And so for me, I really like the idea of maintaining independence. We have a doctor that's thinking about, you know, joining our Portsmouth Ortholaser uh, Center uh, up in New Hampshire. And he works for a large hospital group with a contract and he's not sure he can do it because he's got to see if he can do outside stuff. And so you get really limited, you know, and, and as it's, it's fascinating because I think as a lot of these younger, you know, surgeons and are coming out of medical school residency and they're looking for jobs, I'm not sure they understand the nuances at this point. You can go to work for a large hospital corporation. You're going to get salary. There's not a lot of upward mobility. You're going to take a lot of call. You know, do you join and a they pro- own you. and they own you and you can't do outside stuff. Forget about entrepreneurial stuff and, and ideas of business that you can't do any of that stuff. And then if you join private practice, what's your status there? You know, so the private equity thing really potentially really opens up doors and, you know, it's interesting, you know, if you're an orthopedic surgeon, you reach 65 and you decide to retire, the general rule of thumb is you get two months of accounts receivable and you're done, right? Uh, but now you actually own shares in this corporation and the corporation continues and then you can get fair market value for your price when you exit. And there's actual, you know, you've really built a business over years and, and doctors in particular have never really taken advantage of that. Yeah, and maybe, you know, you, I think you kind of... Uh influenced me in a sense, because at least my experience, you know, with, with private equity in medicine had been kind of private equity comes in, they acquire practices, they reduce the number of physicians just because it's cheaper. Right. But in, in the sense where you, whether through a franchise model or a larger practice, you partner with private equity, right. That makes complete sense because it gives you essentially more leverage. Cause that's the biggest thing that I think physicians are faced with these days, which is, Hey, if you have a practice that's successful, even if you're out in the rural areas at some point, the big regional hospital or IDN or anything is going to say, hey, why don't we expand out there? And, and so you need, you need capital to have leverage to, to essentially combat that. I think, isn't it in, 
in Massachusetts or one of the Northeastern states that the hospital's having this big push out into a variety of different areas, acquiring practice. I feel like it's Massachusetts or something. So, so Mass General and the Brigham, it used to be called the Partners, but now it's called Mass General Brigham Organization or something like that, MBO. They, they put out a, a note that they were going to do a $2 billion expansion into the communities. And so the concept was, you know, in Boston in particular, oh, it's Mass General, it's the Brigham. People are always going to come from all over and drive into Boston to have their medical care. And they would sit there, you know, you'd have to leave at four in the morning to get your surgery done at 730 because of the traffic. But people just did it. It was like, whatever, this is this is what we've always done. But but no, nobody wants to go to the big white building with sick patients in it anymore. Everybody wants to go to an ASC, an outpatient surgery center. Why? Right. It's clean. There's no sick people. You're having elective surgery. Why do you want to be around people with germs and bacteria and stuff? And so what's happening, they're realizing is the push is now to have these ASCs, ambulatory surgery centers in the community so people can go right from their home and then have these doctors. The problem was is that it's a huge group. They've already got tremendous market share. And the attorney general was like, and the Department of Public Health was like, you know, no, we're not just going to let you do this. You know, we're, we're concerned. Why would we put another ASC in when we've already got one sitting right there so you guys can make more money and grow larger? So I think it's it really is important to to be able to to maintain some independence as a physician. I've always I mean, I don't I don't want to work I want to work for myself. I mean, I've never really wanted to work for someone else. I think that's really important. And even within private equity, I want to stress that. I mean, they don't really change your clinical practice. They don't want to. You've been successful at what you're doing. If you're asking you to join into private equity, it's because whatever you've done has worked. Uh, they want to basically make money. That's what private equity does. But they don't want to take away your ability to clinically practice. And so you'll still be a doctor doing what you want to do with your nurse practitioner, PA, and making the right decisions for your patients. Uh, but it just gives you the potential uh, to be able to push back and have money for expansion in ways that you might not have had before. Uh, and you're partnering with these people. It's not like you're just working with them. The whole idea is that they, everybody grows together, you know, in this process. And you're with like-minded, outstanding, you know, orthopedic groups that are doing the exact kind of work that you are and you're building best practices. That makes complete sense. So let's, let's get into that model. So say that I'm an orthopedic surgeon and I say, you know, I listened to this podcast with Dr. Sigmund. This sounds right in line with what I'm interested in. What do those next steps look like? Like, how do you know that a friend, you know, getting into franchising is for you specifically ortho laser B, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you, what, what are the steps? So, so it's funny. I mean, I think uh, Matthew Ray Scott, do you follow Matthew Ray Scott on LinkedIn, the bearded one? Absolutely. I had, I had the bearded one on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. We've known each other for many years. Great great this he's got a heart of gold that man he really does such a great egg just a great person on the planet i mean he just uh thinks so differently and half the time he's talking about shit i don't know what the hell he's saying but at the end of it i'm like nodding my head i'm like that's what i want to do and uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know so matthew coined the term orthopreneur for us you know so what's you know i was wondering where that came from i saw that floating around linkedin i was like who came up with that like like Ah, all right. It's MRS for you. And so, so you know, who? Are, what are we looking for? We're looking for innovative, you know, uh, doctors that understand new technology, that are looking for new technology, uh, that that aren't afraid to, to to start a new business. And so, you know, as a general rule, the 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 place to be in the sweet spot of things for three laser orthopedic laser centers to have a minimum of four doctors. But we actually think, 
even like six partners that would self-refer in. And what, what makes most sense is if you spread it across multi-specialty. So you get a hand surgeon, you get a sports surgeon, you get a bat, you know, a, a pain specialist, a foot and ankle specialist. So you're, you're covering a lot of different, you know, dis, uh, disease options that are there for, for treatment. And then you co- combine together and then you refer into this facility. That's one model. And that's been very, and that's where, Everybody has their own own clinical practice, and it's like, hey, after I do surgery, I'm I'm referring in here, and it makes a lot more sense when you're with a group because if it's just one physician with that, it it I think that gets a little dicey, right? You want yeah, you want to have because the whole idea is you don't want to spend any money on marketing, right? Marketing is what's really expensive. If you open up a hair salon, the, the, those those acquisition costs are expensive. Let me tell you, they are. So we don't we we don't want you to spend any money on marketing. Maybe a little bit on Facebook or something, but we basically want four to six, you know, actively practicing doctors who are referring two to three patients a day with three lasers and your facility is fully booked within six months and it just rolls. You know, it's a patient pay model. So everybody needs to know that the insurance does not cover laser at all. Uh, We've got great efficacy data as well as our safety data is impeccable. There's no single, single reported incidence of complication with laser over the 10 years that this laser in particular has been FDA cleared. And the efficacy about, we're saying 80% of our patients are seeing at least a 50% reduction in their VAS scores over their, over their 10 treatments. And so they're very satisfied as well. And so, so basically, if you, if you do all of that, then these, your, your business is, is filled within six months. And the model's been proven. We have a beautiful center in Milwaukee with Bill Pennington and Joanne Pennington and uh, Dr. Evanich and, and the rest of the crew that are out there. And within three months, they went from three lasers to six lasers because they could not keep up with the volume that was happening. And we've set up an ortho laser university there where we're taking all of our franchisees once they sign on. You're going to go, you're going to be trained in the laser, you're going to be trained in tactics and strategy and how you, you know, run a franchise in a business. Um, and so, so that's the one model. But then there's been another model, which has really been really quite interesting. And that is a lot of the medical device distributors and medical device reps who, who have really deep black books in the area uh, of wherever we are that we're going. They come on for equity ownership as well. And so that model is really fascinating because that's run more like almost like a surgery center kind of gig. So what happens is, let's say you're a medical distributor, or let's say it's you, Omar, you decide you want to open a, an ortho laser where you are, and you're going to keep 40% of the equity for yourself, and then you're going to distribute 60% of the equity. Maybe you give 10% to six doctors. Those doctors are pretty excited because Omar says, I'm doing all the work. Okay, guys, I'm going to open this thing up. I'm going to find the people. I'm going to manage the HR and the payroll and all that stuff. All you six dudes need to do is send in a couple patients a day. And then I'll send you a distribution check every quarter for your for your the time that you're in. So some doctors are all in. They want to run the facility. They want to be the managing partner. They want to take care of everything. But other doctors are like, I like the surgery center model where someone else does most of the work. I send my patients in and I get a distribution. And then mm-hmm. and so what's happening, especially which is really fascinating, is that we're, we're getting these, you know, the margins are so good because the overall cost to, to run this laser, and we can talk about you know, how, as far as, you know, what it takes to get in, but it's not big money compared, like if you want to open up an urgent care center, a franchise urgent care center, it's a minimum of $1.5 million to buy all of the inventory that's required, x-ray machines, EKG, blood work, you know, all the stuff that's required in there. 
you know, for us, it's three lasers, it's a couple of computers and some desks and some stuff on the wall. And so and you can just lease a lease a building, right? You le- you lease the space. You don't have to own the space. It's 2000 square feet. We don't even have most of our people aren't even you know, going into retail space because again, it's not a walk-in clinic. It's a refer, you know, you refer in for your patients. Yeah, so you don't need you don't need like prime real estate for that. You're right. That makes sense. Medical office space, which is like 30 or 40% less than retail space, 2000 square feet. You get yourself a few lasers, a couple of computers. We train up your laser technicians and, and you're ready to roll. And we do all that. I mean, that's why you sign up for a franchise is that, you know, we call it sort of the business in a box. I mean, we, you sign on the dotted line and we'll take care of all that stuff so that when you do open, you're going to be ready to roll. And so what a lot of people are doing because they love the numbers so much and the margins are so good, we're getting a lot of interest in area development agreements. And what does that mean? It means like, okay, I want Chicago. I want Chicago. I want the whole thing. I want to know. I want to basically be able to go north, south, east, west. Uh, can't go north in Chicago. That puts you in the lake. But you know what I'm saying? And like literally, you know, you get all of those zip codes held. And then what they do is they hold the equity for themselves. And then they partner with additional doctors at the next zip code. So they're bringing in four or five doctors for that zip code and giving them the, the X. So it's just, this is like an indirect way to get exclusivity. Yes, it is. Through recruitment. That's smart. I, that's, I like that. That's a, that's actually a really great model. And then, you know, speaking of exclusivity, I'll tell you one of the other stories, which we haven't talked about yet, but you know, they came to me when I first said, let's do this franchise thing. And, and at the time it was the M6 laser. It's like BMW. They changed the model, you know, every, every like three or four years. So the best technology at the time was the M6. But they were also selling the M6 to other, you know, other healthcare providers. It wasn't exclusive to doctor to MDs or DOs. Oh, that's interesting. So, you know, you can't be, I can't be competing, you know, against a chiropractor that has the same laser down the road because they've been using laser forever. I'm like, so we need something that sets the MDs and the DOs apart. What's it going to be? Well, they had this brand new technology that was just coming out. They completely changed their marketing campaign. We signed on the dotted line. And the only way you can get an M8 laser, which is three times more powerful than the M6, is if you sign on for an ortho laser with a big laser set. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, so that was another real lock-in for us. We've got the technology. You know, now we've got this, this great way to heal people. Uh, the margins are fantastic. And physicians are looking for an opportunity for additional revenue source. And it's really a positive thing for them as well. So it's really, a, and you're bringing this great, amazing technology to communities to avoid opioids. And, you know, I know that it's by name, you know, ortho laser. So it's a lot of, you know, orthopedic surgeons, but has, it seems like there's opportunity for non-orthopedic surgeons to essentially be involved in this. Like who, what are some other physicians? Cause I know like our audience is kind of like all over the map on specialty. Like what are some other physicians, you know, that, that have been involved in the franchise? Like let's let's kind of get I want to get real creative with this. No, no, it's great. No, you're you're actually you're asking all the right questions. So certainly pain management specialists, right? All the physiatrists or the anesthesiologists that are in pain clinics. But wouldn't they be eating into their own into their own profits, or is it is it kind of like, hey, if I have a patient that I'm probably I might lose otherwise, I might as well give them that option. Is that the way to look at it? Right, you're going to do 20 epidural steroid injections on the same patient. I mean, eventually you've got to say what you're doing. It's basically one more arrow in your quiver, right? Okay. Yes. I've got a pain stimulator. Yes. I can, you know, burn your nerves or yes, I can do an ESI. Or we've also got this laser thing, which you can't hear, feel, or see a thing. It's completely painless Mm. and you can go across the street and get that treatment instead. 
And let me point something out just because this is, you know, it's something that, again, I, my, my dad's 75 years old. And so old school general surgeon out of Chicago and Cook County. And here's the sort of tale from history that every physician should remember. Look what happened to the general surgeons. Everybody started to pick off their procedures like left and right. And so you may not, you, I don't know, I'm, I'm certain there's some interventional pain guys that are just like, what the hell is this ortholaser thing? Hey, if it, if it clinically is showing efficacy, patients are, are loving it, you better just be on board and start adopting and be involved with it. Otherwise, you're leaving a huge risk in your business. Am I wrong in saying that? No, you're absolutely right. It's, it's not just in general surgery. I mean, within orthopedics, if you decided, you know, 15 years ago that you were going to continue to do open rotator cuff repair and you wouldn't take the time to learn how to do an arthroscopic rotator cuff repair, you are out of the business of rotator cuff surgery. So technology is not necessarily a bad thing. You don't have to be the first one on the wave, but it's okay to be accepting, you know, of technology as it starts to bear itself out. And so, you know, that's sort of what we're seeing. So yeah, I think your, your analogy was fantastic. So we've got pain specialists. We've embraced the podiatrists who've actually had success with laser. But what we've done is with the lasers for them is they really haven't found a way to monetize it. It sits in their office. They have one laser. They're charging a little bit here for it, there for it. But, you know, it's not in this scalable environment of where you can be a part of something much larger. So the podiatrists are on board. Um, even, you know, we've had, we have chiropractors now that have joined us as well. Uh, we have an outstanding chiropractor, Stephen Sara, who's in, in business with me now, who has an amazing reputation in our community. We were thrilled to be able to bring him on board. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it, it, all the orthopedic specialties, obviously, Omar, all of those. But then there's another magic place that we've been having amazing success, and that's with wounds. So the laser works amazingly well on all types of significant wound complications, whether it's venous stasis ulcers, arterial ulcers, you know, these also these these treatments that have stalled. We've just had we have patient after patient after patient that have had remarkable success with the laser. So we're actually talking to wound care specialists now to see if they may be interested. There's a lot of different ways in which it can be used. Very interesting. I have a couple questions more on the business franchise side, but just on the clinical side, like what exactly clinically, physiologically, is the laser doing? Great question. So, so I always I always say this to everybody when I first get started on my webinars and my talks. I'm like, all right, do you believe in photosynthesis? I definitely do. Hey, podcast listeners, I want to share a story with you. Now, believe it or not, my father was a private practice owner just like you. He had his own general surgery practice for 35 years and spent the last 10 doing varicose veins and other vascular procedures in his office. He loved private practice because he was in control of how he practiced medicine. But even back then, billing was an issue. Now, despite that, my father was lucky to choose when he wanted to retire, and he did so with his independence as a clinician and a practice owner. But not everyone is lucky that like that these days. That's because getting reimbursed is even more complicated than ever. Practicing medicine today comes with more headaches and more responsibilities. So along with the complexities and demand of caring for your patients, your mind is also occupied with all these headaches that come with running a private practice, like submitting claims and managing your accounts receivables, dealing with insurance companies and denials, all of that just to get reimbursed in time and in full. And more often than not, that doesn't happen that way. And this can be such a tough task and extremely frustrating, but it does not have to be like that anymore. 
To adapt in a world with an ever-changing environment, especially in healthcare, means to seize opportunities when you see them. And that opportunity is to use data-driven technologies. That's why you need a trusted partner like Gentem. Gentem is a Silicon Valley-based company founded by a Stanford-educated physician and a former Facebook software engineer. And they found that uncovering hidden revenue in your claims is the key to increasing your cash flow and staying independent. It's only possible through what's called predictive reimbursement modeling. And that's on Gentem. Platform. Why is that important? Because then you're using the power of data to see how well your practice is doing, how to maximize reimbursements, decrease the time it takes for you to get reimbursed. And more importantly, as payers get more creative with denials, you're able to use the data to adapt and stay ahead. And not only that, but you also get the support of Gentem's remarkable team of medical practice experts with decades of experience in healthcare. They're an extension of your practice in that they work with all departments to achieve optimal revenue with dedicated resources, including certified billers, coders, and revenue cycle managers, all working and paying attention to the data specific to your region and your specialty. Gentem also develops products specifically made for private medical practices. So when your practice is ready to invest in hiring more staff, perhaps new technology, or even acquiring facility or building one out yourself, don't go and fill out a long, complicated application at the bank and get handcuffed to a high-interest bank loan. Gentem uses Gentem Advance to essentially advance payments to you based on your outstanding AR. You get the capital that you need today to grow, and then you pay it back based on your future claims. So head over to gentem.com forward slash podcast demo and get your free billing and reimbursement assessment along with a demo of our platform and service to see what's right for you. And now let's get back to the show. Right? How can you not? You look outside, the sun comes up and your grass grows, right? That's photosynthesis. So, so why should it come as a surprise that a species living on a planet that has a sun in its deepest genetic code would have sensitivity to light as well? The next thing I bring up is vitamin D. We're all familiar with vitamin D, right? You have to be in the sunlight to activate your vitamin D. So your Mm -hmm. body is affected by light at at its most inner core of its genetic code. So I'm going to hearken you back now to your high school science days. And we're going to talk about the mitochondria and the Krebs cycle, which is the powerhouse of the cell, which generates all of this energy for you. So there's these enzymes inside your, mitochrom- your mitochondria, cytochrome oxidase, and they are sensitive to light. They are excited by specific wavelengths of light. And most of the time that's in the near infrared zone, which means you can't see it. It's below the visible light spectrum. Uh, it's usually about the 600 to about you know a thousand nanometers for those geeks out there that are really into the wavelength type stuff. And it's all about the penetration of the laser. So you gotta make sure that the laser gets into where the action is. It's gotta go four to five centimeters. That's based on your skin pigment, your water content, and then your hemoglobin. All of those things absorb the photons of laser. But with the right wavelengths and the right power, you can generate these photons into the mitochondria of these cells, increasing the, the basically the metabolism of the cell, and it generates all these things. So it increases vasodilation, so there's increased blood flow to the area. There's clear demonstration on a Petri dish that if you do a fibroblast scratch test, 
And then you lay laser over top of it. The fibroblasts get all excited and they go and they cross the scratch much faster than if they didn't. So the fibroblasts, which are the healing cells of the body, are, uh, come in as well. There's a slight increase in temperature of two to three degrees Celsius, well below uh, any kind of a, a concern for burn. And what does that do? That sort of gets everything moving around a little bit. It loosens things up a little bit. And that's where we get help in our chronic inflammatory conditions. And then we'll segue into COVID because I want to talk about that. I think we've had some profound results using our laser for COVID. I heard you're a cure of COVID. The cure cure of COVID. I'm going to catch some shit for that, but I don't really care. Did you grab that domain name? Because if you didn't, I'm going on GoDaddy right now and grabbing it. <laughs> go, go, go fro, go fro. Um, so, so yeah, so, so, uh, oh my God, you broke my train of thought again. Don't abbreviate uh, cure of COVID either. I don't think that for marketing purposes, that would work very well. <laughs> Um, you know, so, so the bottom line is, you know, we were just, just the, all of these things, you know, create a reduction in inflammation. Here's where I was going to go with this. So we know the cytokine storm, right? We all heard that for COVID, right? Yep, and yep. so the cytokines are these proteins that if they're unleashed, they create havoc and they create a very pro inflammatory condition and the laser for whatever reason, basically when it goes and it gets, goes into the cells, these inflammatory cells are called inflammasomes or macrophages, whatever you want to call them. It produces these, these anti-inflammatory proteins, which block the formation of the pro-inflammatory proteins. So basically you block the inflammatory cycle from, from going haywire. And so that's what happens in arthritis. It happens in tendonitis. In any place that you have inflammation, you're, you're creating the laser to, to produce these anti-inflammatory cytokines to block. And so that's what happened with COVID, if you'd like to go there at this point. I mean, I was using my laser. And if you have somebody that rolls their ankle or they have an MCL injury to their, to their knee or they have a hamstring tear and they get this tremendous bruising if you put them under a laser, 100% of those patients get better. It's, it basically evaporates acute inflammation. And that was a that was a big issue with COVID is that you have such a huge, you know, the, the cytokine storm was huge and the nephrologists were really big into this. And I think there is one company called Astera whose device essentially was a filter for viruses, but essentially those, that cytokine storm in there. And that was like the one major, major issue with it. And you're saying that the laser essentially creates these anti-inflammatory markers that blocks the cytokine storm from essentially getting worse. That is, And then your body can catch up, do its thing without having an, a crazy immune response, but an appropriate immune response trying to clear the virus. And so, so you know, we were using it and, I'll, you know, look, it, it, when March rolled around of, of 2000 and was it 20 or 2019, I forget, 20, the world did not need an orthopedic surgeon that specialized in sports medicine, right? I was grounded. I was put on the sideline, COVID striking, all of the operating rooms are shut down. And here I am, I'm stuck in the closet in my master bedroom, you know, uh, podcast closet studio. And I'm trying to think, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I'm not going to just sit here all day and do nothing. And then the whole, the whole sort of laser thing sort of came to me and I called my hospital. I said, look, what if I donate my, my laser to the hospital and we run a trial using my laser because I think it's going to ah, work on acute COVID. That's a very, uh, very surgeon-like thing for you to think of and do. I like that. Only a surgeon would say like, hey, Mr. or Mrs. CEO of the hospital, let me, let me lend you this capital equipment. Here's what I want. Here's what you get. I love that. I love that. 
problem is, is you're dealing with doctors. And as you said, you know, they're stuck in their ways. They're dogmatic. They know what they know and they don't know what they don't know. How, how, how is it that on Twitter, uh, there's not, there's not more trash talking between physicians. Like it, it's very civil on Twitter. Like I, like I went in ortho Twitter and I was like, it's gotta be just like, you know, a, a, a garbage fire in here, but it's actually very, very civil. I'm like, how is this pop? Maybe cause it's public. But anyway, sorry. Keep, keep, let's go. Keep going. I sorry. So I go to the I go to the IRB, which is you know the Institutional Review Board of the hospital, and say I want to run this laser study. They're like, I say it's FDA cleared, but it's not. It's really off label for use if we're going to do it for this. And they're like, well, we don't know shit about lasers. It's like the only way we're going to let you do this is if you if you give us some guidance from the FDA. Because <laughs> that's so easy to get, right? When you need it. You know something? <laughs> this fro has got some chutzpah, as you said. And guess what? I picked up the freaking phone and I called the FDA. And six hours later, they called me back. Are you kidding me? I am not kidding you. Six days later, I gave them the specs of the laser, which had already been FDA cleared. I said, here's the deal. We went back and forth through emails over six days. And they said, you're a non-significant risk device and you can use this for COVID. And I basically went back to my IRB. We applied for it. We put the study on clinical.govs and uh, I brought my laser into the hospital and we started lasering people. And uh, it was, it was really hard. It was difficult. All the hospitalists at the hospital had never heard of laser. They were completely uncomfortable with the idea of using it. What is this? We don't know anything about it. It treated like witchcraft. Yeah, that's exactly right. But you know something, you know how they were treating patients in the hospital at that time with oxygen. I mean, there, it, was the, it was the lowest morale of any time I've ever been in medicine in my 30 years walking through the wards at that hospital because they, it was death. What, what, month, what month was this? It was April, April and May. Oh, so this is like literally getting close to the peak of like shit in the fan, no one knowing what to do. It was just the smell of death and demoralized nurses and doctors who really weren't doing anything for their patients, just watching them die. None of the yeah. medications were working. We didn't... And so basically, here I am. I bring this long shot in. I say, let's do the laser. Let's try it. And 90% of the hospitalists who were taking care of the patients refused to have their patients you know, cared for. And so we wanted to do a 20-patient study, 10 in the control, 10 in the treatment. Uh, but at the end of the day, we only were able to treat 10 patients, five in the control group, and then five in the treatment group. Of the five patients in the control group, three of them died after going and getting intubated in the ICU. The five patients that were treated for once a day treatments for 28 uh, minutes for four days in a row all uh, left the hospital or alive and well with no long-term pulmonary sequelae. Their chest x-rays dramatically improved over that four-day window. We have chest x-rays before and after. We have some interleukin-6 data for some, some of the patients, which is one of those pro-inflammatory cytokines which went down. And, you know, very proud that paper was published in a peer-reviewed journal a year later. This was about, it was published about, you know, four months ago. Um, and it's really seen some international regard. And we have, I've had, you know, e emails and calls from doctors in Brazil and from India in particular, most recently, uh, where they've actually taken the same laser and have had great success. So that was unbelievably gratifying. But still here in the U.S., no one has, wants to read the study. No one's knocking on the door, calling to say, can we use these lasers in the clinic? You know, can we bring them to the hospital? It just hasn't been able to break through. I know it's a small study, but our whole goal of doing that study was to have a larger academic institution pick up the ball and then do a larger study. You know, and from there, you know, what's even more interesting now is obviously we don't have a lot of acute COVID left where we are, but 
we've got a ton of chronic long haulers that are walking around that just have these unexplained pulmonary symptoms well after they're contagious and they just are severely limited in their ability to function. And, uh, and we're curing them. I've had three nurses most recently from our hospital who were really, you know, could, they were, they were incredibly, you know, great athletes and, and able to function and do all the stuff that they want to do prior to COVID. And then they could barely walk up the stairs afterwards. And those three nurses in particular have all been completely cured. They're asymptomatic at this point after 15 laser sessions. So we're about ready to embark on a chronic long hauler COVID study. We have the the uh, application into the IRB, and we're going to run a study free to the patients uh, because I've just been so impressed by this. We're donating my laser again to be able to you know run this study, be able to get some data to show that it works for chronic long haulers as well. So, you know, it's um, it it's it was a, a major you know sort of struggle bust to sort of you know figure this thing out and get it across the finish line, but we did it, and I have. Two amazing, you know, partners in the study, Sohila Makmali and, and Mariana Petrese, who are MD PhDs from Canada. Um, you know, you have to remember, like, I had no idea. I'm like, I'm a laser guy for for like bones and joints. I'm like, what the hell is what am I how am I supposed to laser the lungs? You know, it's like, what what do I do? What's the dose? And so I pulled out the Google machine and I just threw out, you know, laser for COVID. <laughs> and sure enough, there was a theoretical paper that had just been written by these two. I DM'd them on ResearchGate, which is like the, the Geekorama of Facebook for scientists. And she got right back to me and she gave me like all the information, what dosage I should use. And it was just wow. an amazing story from beginning to end to, to get that thing done. That's amazing. That's such an interesting story. And, and it's, and please like, let us know when you finish that like study, I know it'll be some time, but that'll be really interesting to see more about that. Um, now I want to be mindful of time. I'm good. I'm good. We I, can keep some, going. You got some good. more stuff. Let's keep going, brother. I'm good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I know that our audience is eating this up. There's a few orthopedic and spine engines I know that are going to be loving this. So I do have, so pivoting back to the business side of it. So I'm going to give you a scenario. I won't say this person's name, but, Perfect scenario. Young orthopedic surgeon, right, in clinical practice, working for a hospital, not happy, wants to quit, right? Interested in entrepreneurship. Is your advice to that person, if they want to get into the ortho laser franchise, is to go and do that model you mentioned of taking larger equity stake, going and recruiting the referring physicians in a certain area? Right. And once they have that coming back to you, launching the franchise model and going from there, is that in a, in a nutshell what you would recommend or would it be different? Well, no, I think that I mean, so there's two things to that story. First and foremost, I'm assuming that they definitely have decided that they're not going to continue with their career. Yes. Yeah, they're done. They've already made a decision so that they're moving on. So so the, the first question I would ask them is that, OK, this may not have been right for you, but do you have solid relationships in your community with the doctors in which you were working? Uh, and if so, then the answer is absolutely yes. You can build upon that uh, and you can, you know, develop this, you know, the, the go through the process of signing the franchise application, which at the end of the day is non-binding for 60 days. And then you go run around, you find the doctors that you think you'd want to work with. Uh, and then you build that equity pool in the way in which you want to design it. Uh, and then, yes, you start. And our model basically is we want you to be successful at your opening franchise. Once we know three months in that you guys are cooking with gas and that the numbers look good, then we say, OK, fantastic. Let's sign an area development agreement. We'll give you five more zip codes. And then that person 
that doctor who's still a doctor would then start working on collaborating and finding the next group. And that model has been very successful for us uh, in Milwaukee, for example, their first mm. facility opened up, I think about eight months ago, and their second facility is going to be probably opening in two months. They then collaborated with a large group from Dallas and formed a whole big holding company. And now they have six sites in Dallas that they're going to be opening as well. Wow. You know, so, so we're on the, we're on the, you know, the real exponential growth phase of where we see this thing going. And uh, it's just sort of the perfect storm, right? If you take a look uh, at, at an opportunity to be able to help your communities by providing this alternative treatment option for them. It is a patient pay model, but you know something, patients are used to paying for stuff at this point. Nobody has a $10 copay anymore. I mean, everybody has high, high you know, PPO deductible plans and they're used to paying for their medicine. So for $70 a treatment, which is what this is, which is about the copay, it's 70 bucks a treatment. And so for the acute injuries, if you roll your ankle or if you have a fracture and your little grandma can't, you know, she's on opioids because she broke her shoulder, screw that. You bring her to ortholaser in six treatments, her pain will be gone, the bruising will be gone, and she requires no opioids. I mean, look, you saw me like, look, I, I'm, I'm technically that population. My, you know, my wife, uh, you know, her, her neck's been out of whack for a long time. So she started going to a chiropractor recently and, you know, it's helping and making her feel better. But I'm paying like 40, 50 bucks a pop. I would much rather just try it. I'm going to have to check ortho laser locations here, here in SoCal. Um, but here's, here's another, like the people's Republic of China, right? It's not exactly oh the my easiest God. place to do. Don't do Yeah, seriously. I mean, look, just, I want everybody to know this. I am not from here. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a guy from Texas. They ended up out here because my parents decided to retire in SoCal. Hey, if I have to pay these crazy taxes and deal with the government, I'm okay living like close to the beach and in wine country. But y- yeah, it's, it, yeah, yeah. And people are leaving the state and ruining other places. They're ruining Texas. And I'm waiting for the co- cost of living to go down here. It keeps going up. And I'm just like, it, it's like they're leaving and making things worse, worse other places than here. But but that said, here's an interesting question. And 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 I, again, for those listeners who are paying attention right now, I'm, I'm ex- excited to hear this. What are some markets right now that are untouched by the ortho laser franchise? We are like, man, if if I was in that market, I would go gangbusters on this. What are some markets and cities that you feel that Orthalasia is not in, and somebody's going to get end up stumbling on a on a on a gold mine? Florida, Florida, Florida. So is you guys don't have any Orthalasias in Florida? We have one open in Pensacola. They have this very interesting. That's are you kidding me? That's in Florida. Oh my, that's I wouldn't guess that. Well. It's interesting because, you know, Florida has this, this self, uh, the Physician Self-Referral Act, which states that you cannot own more than 50% of anything outside of your clinical practice that makes money, regardless of its insurance or if it's of cash. But that model then is perfect for your buddy who's basically looking to start these franchises. He'll own 50% of the franchise and then five other doctors that will refer in. They'll each own 10%. Nobody's over the 50% rule because the other person's not a clinician that's referring in. And it's like this perfect scenario. So Florida is a great state. Uh, we're just moving into, we, we got Dallas tied up, San Antonio. Houston is another tremendous market, very large market that should wow. come in. Arizona is ripe for the picking, you know, Scottsdale, Phoenix, another, you know, great spot, Vegas as well. Another high populated area. Uh, I would say probably 
80 percent of the of the states across the country have really no major regulations against the idea of you opening up a laser clinic. There are some places that do that are fairly strict. For example, New Jersey has the Cody law, which is the harshest sort of law in the state in the country where it says that physicians can't own anything outside of their clinical practice because some I guess some guys made some money doing some stuff selling some stuff out of the back of some vans on the Jersey Turnpike or something. I don't know, but it had to, have, it had to happen in Jersey, right? Never, that never happens. But uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so we've got some really good action in Chicago that's happening right now. But literally, you know, but basically, just about every Ohio is is a little dicey. We we were just about ready to open up a bunch of centers in Ohio. We got a little bit uh, pushback there, uh, but I would say in the Midwest in particular. Uh, Maryland is wide open at this point too. We're really excited about the possibility of Maryland. There are some restrictions there. North Carolina is ready to rock and roll. That's wide open as well. Um, so I think the advice and what I would say to your listeners is this, is that, you know, if you're truly interested, we at OrthoLaser have, have done the work. I mean, we've analyzed the, the regulations at each of the major states that are out there. And we have, for any, for any state, we can provide the, the counsel as to whether or not it's something that's worthwhile or not. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't necessarily say that you'd be limited to any specific market. I would say is, is this concept something that you're into? Do you want to have, do you want to have ownership in a business where you're providing an amazing service to your community uh, and then also be able to generate additional revenue uh, and then, you know, move forwards and, and scale this thing with us as we move on? Now, I want to wrap things up. And again, I appreciate you being very gracious with your time. So last last question on the ortho for, uh, on, on ortho laser. And then I want to move into a couple of, you know, sort of, uh, uh, and I, I forgot the term of it. Essentially, um, they're, they're quick and fast questions. I can't, I don't remember. I don't, I don't know why I can't remember what, it, what we call it, but for some reason it's, it slipped my mind. But on, on ortho laser, so I'll leave it in the show notes for everybody uh, to check out your website. But just in general, like, it, you know, for somebody who's just listening and let's say they're heading to work and everything, what would you say are the, th- you know, minimum three criteria for them to think about, right, before they, let's say, go to the website and engage engage you all? It sounds like, you know, obviously like having some good refer- a referral network set up, but what are the, what's the minimum three things where you're like, if you get these three things, then you, you're in a really good spot to be successful. So first and foremost is relationships with the doctors in the community that you're going to be setting this up. So if you have a deep black book within the medical space and you know the orthopedic doctors, the pain doctors, and you have relationships with them, that's absolutely number one. If you can do that, you're going to open up doors and and you're going to make it easy as well. I think that, uh, you know, as far as the, the, the concern about money should not be that great. I would say that out loud. It's really not that expensive to open up one of these ortho laser centers uh, for as little of about $150,000 pulled money with everybody in together. You should be able to open a center. You said 150 K $150,000. That's, that's below like average franchisees for, for like everything. That's well before, below it. Absolutely. And now remember, that's just for your startup. You still have to pay stuff as you go. But if you sure, no, no, but for a startup, that's not bad at all. Throw 150 grand in the bank with six people. Uh, you know, depending on how much equity you're going to want to be, you know, keeping yourself, you should be able to pay the franchise fee. You should be able to do some of the build out. Most of it's going to get covered by the by the built the owner of the building anyway. Uh, and then you put money in the bank for a little bit for the lawyers, and then you have money set aside for for wages and salary for two months of expenses, and you rock and roll. Uh, 
Um, and so, so the money isn't crazy, which is also great. And then the question really becomes is, and, and this is really important, and that is, you know, are you an entrepreneur? Do you, do you, are you going to focus on this business? Are you going to put your heart and soul into it? Because that's what's required to have a successful business. You can't just do this and then hope it becomes successful. You have to do it because you're going to make it successful. So those are the three things that I would say. Got it. Fantastic. Now let's get into the last, last bit. And again, we appreciate your time. And I remember the term, it's rapid fire questions. I don't know why I can remember earlier. So rapid fire questions, just, you can take as long as you want to answer these or as quickly as you want. And we'll get to the next one. So first question is during the pandemic, we all bought a bunch of like ridiculous stuff off of Amazon and everything. What's the most ridiculous thing that you bought, but you're super happy that you did. Oh, it's my Yeti microphone. Are you kidding me? This thing is freaking awesome. Look at this thing. You guys got to see this. Oh my God. I love that thing. It's like, you have, what do you we're, got? What do you got? We're twinning. Oh, we're twin there you go. I love it. That was my best purchase by far. Got it. Fantastic. Next question. You know, along the way in medicine, continuing education is always a big thing. And we've, we read a lot of books, right? This is how we get our information. What book do you feel like you've recommended or gifted most to people and why? Oh, it's the book thing. You know, it's funny. I'm not a big, I'm not a big reader. I should be, but, uh, but I'm really not. I'm just, what I would say instead is that I would say the daily podcast. If you want to have information mm. and learn what's happening around the world in a timely way that can be explained to you and things that oftentimes are difficult to understand, the daily podcast is fantastic by the New York times. I'm a conservative. I'm not a liberal. They do follow the middle ground. And I really, really appreciate listening to that. I didn't know about that. I'm going to definitely check that out. I love it. Last question for you. Um, I want you to imagine that for the next year, a billboard is bought out in every city, every suburb of America, and every, in this case, orthopedic surgeon is going to see this billboard going into work. What does that billboard say? And it cannot be anything related to ortho laser, by the way. <laughs> oh, no, it's very simple. <laughs> It's the beard and the fro on that billboard because we are all things orthopedics. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dr. Simon, thank you so much. Hey, how can people find you online? What are your social handles? Yeah, we're all over the place. Uh, you can see me, Scott A. Sigmund MD on Instagram, nice and easy. Also, Scott, Dr. Scott A. Sigmund MD on LinkedIn. Also, Scott A. Sigmund MD on Facebook. I don't do Twitter. Uh, I've been, as an opioid-sparing superhero, there are opioid zealots out there that oftentimes really criticize us. And so I've decided to, to stay off of that network uh, rather than fight that process. Uh, but I'm also, uh, theorthoshow.com is where you'll be able to see and, and listen to all of our, our podcasts on The Ortho Show, which I'm so happy to be a part of. I have great partners there. And of course, ortholaser.com as well. Fantastic. I'll leave that all in the show notes. I have a big feeling that our audience is going to want you back. Dr. Scott Sigman, thank you so much, everyone. This is another episode of Journey to Private Practice. I'm your host, Omar M. Khatib. It will see you next time. Scott, stay on, stay on for a second and let's chat. I just need to let... Thanks for listening to this episode of Journey to Private Practice. If you like the show, hey, help other medical practice owners like yourself discover it. Please leave us a five-star review, say a few nice things, and if anything, send this episode to somebody else because I don't know about you, but for me, anytime anything good has happened in my life, it's been as a result of other people helping me. So forward this on, pay it forward, and we'll see you next time.